0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, April 13th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. If you've been maliciously prosecuted, what is the minimum showing in order to proceed with your case? The Supreme Court recently took up that question. Their conclusion is that dismissed charges should be enough and not going as far as requiring a not guilty verdict. But of course, that's not the only hurdle to successfully fighting prosecutors who've used criminal charges as a weapon against innocent people. Kato's Jay Schweikert explains. In many cases, we have people who have been charged with a crime. The case does not proceed forward, or somebody could be acquitted. And nonetheless, you have this person who maybe there was clearly very little evidence that this this person committed the crime that they had been accused of, and yet they cannot uh, further go ahead and assert that their prosecution was malicious. First of all, do we have any sense, or is there any way to get at the number of occurrences of malicious prosecution in the u.s
1: it's difficult to say i mean the only sort of data we would even come close to having is data on cases brought which is obviously a much smaller universe than the total number of malicious prosecutions that occur um there is there are a lot of these cases because there is a very deep and well-developed circuit split on what the elements for malicious prosecution claim are Uh, which is what the court, which is the reason why the court took up the issue in Thompson versus Clark. So it's definitely something that occurs with uh, quite commonly.
0: All right. So the circuit split, uh, the issue goes to the U S Supreme court. And what is the question before the court as to what is, what are the elements that can be required before, uh, somebody who's believes they've been victimized by a malicious prosecution, what they have to have.
1: Sure. So by way of just a little background, uh, what we're talking about here are claims for Fourth Amendment violations uh, for what we generally call malicious prosecution or sometimes seizure pursuant to legal process. And that's why this is under the uh, ambit of the Fourth Amendment, because it is a seizure, although it's a more of a legal seizure than a physical seizure in the traditional sense. And courts have long acknowledged that you can bring these sorts of malicious prosecution claims against law enforcement officers under Section 1983. Um, But the dispute is about this so-called favorable termination rule. So to, to bring a malicious prosecution claim, you have to show that your prosecution ended with a favorable termination. In other words, if you were actually convicted you don't get to bring a malicious prosecution claim. But there's been a long been a dispute about what a favorable termination actually means. Does it mean simply that the charges were dismissed with no conviction or does it require something extra some affirmative indication of innocence like an acquittal or a judicial finding that there was insufficient evidence. So that split about what the favorable termination rule requires is the question that went before the Supreme Court in Thompson versus Clark.
0: So uh, the Supreme Court says what?
1: The Supreme Court says uh, that all you need to show is that the charges were dismissed. You don't need to show an affirmative indication of innocence. Uh, And so that means that the claims here are going to be able to proceed and that in general, it's going to be. Ah, uh, easier to demonstrate malicious prosecution claims because it is quite rare, even for entirely baseless prosecutions, to end up with some affirmative indication of innocence,
0: right. So there can, yeah, so a limited amount of evidence brought by prosecutors or police against uh, someone and what they decide we don't have enough to proceed to trial. We don't have enough. Uh, you know, what? how does that how does the dismissal occur and
1: why does that why is that sufficient in your view? Well, it's more in these sorts of claims, it's more often that charges should never have been brought in the first place. So what happened what happened here to Larry Thompson is that he um, there were uh, unfounded and untrue allegations uh, of uh, sexual abuse of his child in his home. Uh, EMTs came to investigate and later police came and he refused them entry without a warrant. Um, they entered anyway. Uh, they took the child to the hospital, determined that there was no sign of abuse. And so there was no uh, you know, actual underlying offense. But they still arrested him and filed a criminal complaint against him for resisting arrest and obstruction of justice simply because he refused them entry into his home without a warrant. So in other words, he was essentially arrested and charged for exercising his Fourth Amendment rights. Um. So he was and he was held in jail for two days. Uh, the judge eventually released him. And when the prosecutors took a look at this, they very quickly dismissed the charges. Now, they didn't offer any explanation for why they dismissed them. But presumably it was because there was no sufficient basis uh, for an offense here because his alleged crime was simply asserting his Fourth Amendment rights. And so the reason that this rule about favorable termination is so important is that in the most egregious cases like this one, where someone was arrested and charged simply for exercising their constitutional rights, that case is never going to go to trial. You're never going to get an actual acquittal. Uh, any you know halfway competent prosecutor is going to dismiss that case quite quickly. And of course, they're not going to say anything extra on the record about why they're dismissing it. So the alternative rule where you had to have some affirmative indication of innocence would have perversely made it harder to bring these claims in the most egregious cases. Whereas in cases that were a little bit more on borderline that maybe actually did go to trial and resulted in acquittal, those would have been the only ones you could have brought. Um, So it's. You know, the court's opinion holding that you don't need this extra affirmative indication of innocence requirement was mostly based on their analysis of the common law and the idea that at common law, the rule for malicious prosecution simply didn't require this extra rule. But it also just has this underlying common sense basis, which is that uh, the most egregious kinds of malicious prosecutions are not going to be the sort of claims that give rise to this extra affirmative indication of innocence.
0: The court um, here ruled in favor of Mr. Thompson. And what, what about the dissents? What were the what was the reasoning behind the dissents?
1: So, uh, you know, the court ruled six, three, Ju- uh, justice Kavanaugh wrote the majority opinion. Um, justice Alito, uh, dissented joined by justices Thomas and Gorsuch and their dissent was actually not about this, uh, affirmative indication of innocence rule at all. What they were saying is that, Hey, actually we shouldn't recognize a malicious prosecution claim under the fourth amendment at all. So they were kind of taking a much wider view of this issue um, and saying, you know, like, put aside this like doctrinal, this circuit split about what this rule requires. Uh, actually, this is just not the sort of claim you should be able to bring in the first place, um, which I mean, and they do raise some arguments that malicious prosecution claims look a little bit different than typical Fourth Amendment claims, because, again, the seizure here is is seizure pursuant to legal process, not just a cop physically seizing someone without probable cause. Um, you know, nevertheless, the court has acknowledged these claims uh, for many years and lower courts routinely acknowledge them. And there's no dispute that these were well-established uh common law torts now the dissent's position here was well you should just bring a common law tort in, in under state law you shouldn't have to bring a section 1983 claim um but so no one actually none of no, no member of the dissent even disputed the court's resolution of the favorable termination rule they were just saying we shouldn't be deciding this in the first place <sighs> So how does this case alter
0: our understanding of section nineteen eighty three of the Civil Rights Act? Does it?
1: Well, it's a it's a small but significant change specifically to I mean, it it's a change that only applies to the tort of malicious prosecution. Um, and it will definitely be easier to bring those sorts of claims now. And and that's important because these claims often involve, you know, truly egregious, uh vindictive misconduct like you know with the law of, law of uh, the law enforcement officers engaged in here punishing a man simply for asserting his fourth amendment rights um, what this does not change is all of the other baggage associated with section 1983 most obviously qualified immunity um, this case is not over uh, the court remanded to the lower court to you know proceed just with this clarified basis for what um the favorable termination rule requires but they made clear you know he still has to overcome qualified immunity and in fact that was you know one of the arguments made that you know that, he, that Thompson made in support of his case was hey you shouldn't worry so much about this because police officers will still have qualified immunity even if you rule for me on this doctrinal issue about favorable termination which you know is is obviously problematic and in a lot of ways may be the more significant barrier in a lot of these cases Um, so, you know, I mean, I think that there's, you know, a good argument that this would have been an obvious constitutional violation, but that'll be something we have to see when it goes back to the lower courts. So, uh, there's still a lot of obstacles before he can get relief.
0: I I can imagine a set of circumstances in which police think they've got somebody, uh, that they can arrest and charge, realize very quickly that they've made a mistake. And then nonetheless, push ahead with charges in hopes that something comes to light uh, that will assist them moving forward. That And and this case at least appears to give maybe give police pause in those kinds of instances.
1: I think that's right. And I, I mean, it's worth clarifying. I mean, two important clarifications here. Malicious prosecution doesn't mean you were arrested and charged and turned out to be innocent right um it, there are certainly cases where someone can be innocent and can be arrested but as long as the police had a probable cause which is you know not that high of a bar um they haven't violated anyone's constitutional right so the point here isn't you can sue police anytime you're arrested and think you shouldn't have been it's you can sue if you are arrested and charged without probable cause in the first place the other clarifying point to mention is that it, it's somewhat ironic as we're talking about malicious prosecution But you may wonder, why are we only talking about police officers? Well, that's because prosecutors have absolute immunity under Section 1983. They can never be sued. Now, in this particular case, it looks like the prosecutors uh, did the right thing and dismissed these charges quite quickly once they got a look at what was actually involved. But it's actually it would be impossible to maintain a malicious prosecution suit against a prosecutor. Not for any of the doctrinal reasons at issue in this case, but simply because they are the court has held erroneously that they are absolutely immune from civil liability uh, under Section 1983 for any actions taken as a prosecutor. So this tort of malicious prosecution is really only relevant when law enforcement officers uh, file criminal complaints and initiate those proceedings against individuals.
0: Jay Schweikert is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.